Hi there, this is Terry, and I have some news about this podcast. So Feedspot recently published their list of the top 10 animation podcasts you should listen to in 2019, and this podcast made number five. So thank you to Feedspot, and they also included a whole bunch of other great podcasts like the Bancroft Brothers, Animation Network, and the Animation Journey, and I've included the link to their list in the description of this podcast. So please check out those other great podcasts as well. And thank you again to Feedspot. Now let's get into today's episode because we are talking about quite a mix of things with two of the most jack-of-all-trades people in the animation industry that I have met so far. They are Ricky Asbjorn and Chris Garbutt, and they both have a huge list of accomplishments. Chris got a BA in Graphic Arts and Illustration from Leeds Metropolitan University in the UK back in the late 90s, and since then he has pretty much done it all. He's been a creator, executive producer, showrunner, writer, director, character designer, storyboarder, and so much more, and he's worked for a ton of studios, including Disney, DreamWorks, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Aardman Animation, and Passion Pictures. And some of the shows he's helped develop and you might be familiar with include Ben Boucle's The Amazing World of Gumball, Butch Hartman's The Fairly Odd Parents, and the animated Mr. Bean. And most recently, he was the executive producer, showrunner, and art director of Pinky Malinky, a series he created with Ricky that just started airing on Netflix in January. And Chris has so many more credits to his name, but I also want to take a little bit of time to talk about Ricky's career too. So Ricky was one of the youngest students to attend the animation workshop in Viborg, Denmark, where after she moved to London to start her career. And since then, she's also worked on so many different commercials, music videos, short films, and feature films in various roles such as animator, supervising animator, animation director, storyboard artist, and co-director. And she's worked on a ton of projects too, including Tony the Tiger, MTV, Adidas, The Tigger Movie, Jungle Book 2, The BBC, and all of those Gorillaz music videos for Passion Pictures. And in 2007, she started working at Cartoon Network Development Studio Europe in London, where she also helped work on The Amazing World of Gumball with Chris, while also crafting her own show ideas. And along with Chris, she developed Pinky Malinky, which I just mentioned before, and she's currently working with Chris on a brand new animated series for Netflix. So Ricky and Chris, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to chat. How are you guys doing? Uh, very good. Thank you. Thanks for, the, thanks for the intro. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Well, you, you guys both have a ton of credits, and I, I already condensed them a lot. Um, I was... I was <laughs> I always kind of kick these things off uh, the same, and that's kind of what got you interested in animation in the first place. And I haven't interviewed two people once before, so I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go, but maybe you guys can just kind of jump in when you feel is right and, and whatnot. But maybe, Ricky, let's start with you. Uh, how did you get interested in animation when you were growing up in Denmark? I guess I was, I mean, I was always obsessed with Disney when I was a kid, and uh, because that's basically what... That was what we saw the most, um, and I, I don't know. I just, it kind of, and I was really big. I was a huge comic book, comic book fan as well, like all kinds of different, especially Donald Duck when I was a kid. And I, I never really realized that it could be like a career. But then, you know, I, I found out eventually that you could actually, maybe earn a living doing that, or at least try to. So. Yeah, were there were there's like a specific Disney film you remember seeing, and and was it translated into, was it English or subtitled or? 
Um, they were, we had both versions actually often, but they did, we did have them in Danish as well. And I, I'm trying to think which one would be a real standout one. Probably the one I remember the clearest is Fox and the Hound. <laughs> from, I was yeah quite young when I saw that, but that was definitely a good starting point. Yeah, and uh, and Chris, how about you? What got you interested? As a, I'm assuming as a kid, you got interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, similar to Ricky, I grew up like with a real love of comics, uh, especially there's a British comic called The Beano which I was obsessed with and still kind of love to this day as well. And that kind of kick-started me into drawing, like me and my brother used to draw our own comics and do that kind of thing. And I don't know, all through my childhood, as well as comics, I also loved all the kind of Saturday morning cartoons. And uh, during the summer holidays, we'd have like nearly every morning, there'd be kind of just a big plethora of different cartoons, like it'd be Pink Panther or He-Man or just kind of random stuff, one of those cartoons. And I just kind of loved all of that kind of stuff, just consumed it and am now regurgitating it to try and make a career out of it. But uh, yeah, just anything. And I guess like the... Actually, the short Warner Brothers cartoon, that was a big thing as well yeah. when I was a kid because we used, I think it was every week, they used to show just three of them on a Friday or something like that. It wasn't very often, but they really made an impression. Yeah, like, we'd have some, like similar things. It'd be similar like, things Mary as well. Sorry? Like, it was a Looney Tunes? Yeah. 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 Yeah, um, yeah in, in England as well, you used to have, like, a compilation of, like, Looney Tunes, Tom and Jerry, Tex Avery, all that, that kind of stuff, which, again, is just kind of mind-blowing as a kid and really inspirational. Yeah. So how did you, uh, I mean, you both went to school, but how did you kind of make that decision to go to school in the first place when you didn't, like Ricky, you said you didn't realize this was a career choice, really. So how did you uh, get the confidence or the knowledge or whatnot to say, hey, I'm, I'm actually going to do this and go to school and, and all that? It's actually, it's funny because it's my stepmom, when I was probably 11 or 12 years old, showed me an article about a Danish girl who went to work for Disney painting backgrounds and that's when it kind of dawned on me that oh you can actually do this as a real job so after that I was pretty focused on I need to figure out how I can try and get to the right schools so I can you know what if I could work for a company like that someday so that's where it started for me yeah and Chris, how about, how about you? Uh, yeah, I kind of quickly realized that I couldn't do anything else. So, because <laughs> I, when I was growing up, I wanted to either draw comics or play football as a professional. And I was nowhere near good enough to be a footballer. So I kind of focused on wanting to draw comics. And I guess through like school into university, I branched out into kind of learning a bit more about animation and like the illustration world and all of that kind of thing and kind of figured that although I, I still to this day really love comics it's not necessarily an industry that's very easy to make a living out of so to be able to kind of expand into illustration into animation seemed like the right thing to do. So both of you have had quite like a, a vibrant career working on, on a lot of different things was there a point where you kind of 
maybe emotionally realized you'd reached kind of that goal that you had as a kid? Like, can you remember a time when you were working on a project and you're like, this is like, this is exactly what I want to do and I, I'm doing it? I mean, definitely for me, when we got the green light for Pinky, that was a big kind of achieving your goal moment because I know for me and I, I guess for Ricky too, like just to get the opportunity to do your own thing and to do your own animated series is like something definitely being gunning for, for from day one. So that was definitely a big goal achievement day. I think for me, the goal actually changed throughout my career. Because to start with, it was like, okay, I'm going to go to London. I'm going to see if I can actually <laughs> survive and get any job. And then, oh, that felt like a good achievement. And then when I got to work for Disney on Jungle Book 2 uh, as an assistant, that felt like a huge step. But then at that point, I moved my goal because, oh, okay, now I want something different. And I think then becoming part of the development studio at Cartoon Network, that was a huge step as well. And that was when it became really clear, okay, need to make some of these crazy ideas that I have. And then we started working on lots of ideas together. Yeah, um, maybe a question from the opposite end, like, did you ever reach a point where you thought, I mean, both of you have worked for so many different studios and on different projects. Did you ever reach a point where you thought maybe this isn't for me or it was really frustrating and you weren't accomplishing the things you wanted to accomplish? Like Chris, I think it's interesting that you've had uh, a couple decades of a career and, and you you feel like you finally reached that goal now, which I, I think is amazing and congratulations. Um, but looking back, did you ever have any kind of failures or frustrations along the way um, that you can think of? Yeah, I mean, not to sound ungrateful, but when we first came over to America, we were both brought over to be story eyes at DreamWorks Features, which was an amazing experience. Like we were there for two years, learning from so many talented people on like really exciting and great projects. But for me personally, it came a point where I I don't know, I didn't really get into the industry to. Uh, just be doing storyboarding that sounds really bad but you know what I mean I, yeah because you have so many things that you would like to yeah you have so many ideas that it almost feels like it's not fulfilling until you you get to get them out of your system exactly exactly so there just came a point where it's like we really need to get cracking with our ideas again because we've been doing that in London developing our own stuff pitching our own stuff like Pinky almost happened over there and then being over here, it's like, all right, we need to get that moving again over here. And I guess that from being in that job in DreamWorks, we started to reach out to different studios over here and gradually got involved with Nickelodeon, which is obviously where Pinky got picked up and produced. Huh. I mean, yeah. I, and I, I kind of, can you kind of give the Coles notes of maybe the highlights of both your careers? Because I know I gave kind of already a Coles notes version in the in the intro, but maybe... Like, what are the successes that you personally feel over over the, the career you've had? Like, maybe first, how did you get your first job? Uh, all this stuff. Um, well, my first job was uh, at a small studio called Espresso in London, uh, working on, I think, the very first thing I worked on was a Cocoa Pops commercial, which obviously, when it's your first job, it just feels huge because you feel like, oh, I've 
you know, I've dreamt about this my whole life. And now I'm actually, someone is paying me real money to sit and work on this. And it just felt so exciting. And also someone trusted you enough to let you be part of it. So that was very exciting. And another uh, big memorable thing for me was working on the gorillas videos, which was crazy, (laughs) very hard but so worth it because I think they, you know, they turned out so well. It was was such an exciting thing to be part of. Were you, were what was your role in the gorillas? Were you doing the line, the line art or the cleanup or the coloring or a little bit of everything? No, I was an animator on the second album. Hmm. So yeah, I I did uh, animation on all of those, Feel Good and Dare. Oh, I can't remember what they're all called. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris, how about you? How was what, what was your uh, what was it like when you got your first job? Yeah, the the first, I guess the first job that I landed that allowed me to stay in London because, like, me and a friend of mine had been traveling from the north of England down to London a few times to try and get into the industry. And the first job that we both got together that allowed us to kind of actually stay in London, afford to rent a house, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we were art directing the second season of Stressed Eric, like a, a show that originally was done by Klasky in LA, but they decided to do the second season in London. Uh, so that was pretty exciting to actually, we'd gone from earning 40 pounds a week on unemployment benefit to like suddenly, it was around 750 pounds a week. So we were pretty excited about that, and we spent a lot of money on wine and pizza, and got really fat, <laughs> and then realised that we need to, need to be a bit smarter with our money. But that was really fun. But that whole experience of trying to get into the industry to begin with was kind of interesting. Initially, me, me and my friend, we came over to New York and LA straight out of university to kind of, uh, we went to NTV, we went to DC Comics, we went to like Nickelodeon, a bunch of different studios and places just to kind of meet people, try and make contacts, try and get jobs. Uh, nothing came from it immediately, but we kind of started little seeds of kind of networking and everything, which was really good. But we, we basically so, had to go. So you used to show up at, at uh, you just show up at studios and be like, hey guys, I'm here. Like, can I have coffee with somebody? Or how did you, how did you go about networking? I mean, we did a little bit of research before we went, which it was kind of tough. This was like 1998. So it was kind of, I mean, there, there was the internet, but the internet was pretty basic at that point. It's nothing compared to what it is now with like social media and all that kind of stuff. So actually connecting with people was kind of different. You'd, uh, I can remember seeing there was like a job opening at NTV. So we we got in touch about that. We might have even called them, I can't remember. So that got us in the door of MTV to talk to someone there. They kind of phoned ahead to someone at Nickelodeon in LA. So when we went over to LA, we had a foot in the door there as well. So it was just kind of talking to people, they'd kind of open another door in a studio somewhere else. So you kind of just be passed around if you if you were lucky. So we just kind of went and tried it and it worked out. And I guess because it was two British guys turning up, not really knowing what they were doing, I, I guess people might have felt sorry for us. allowed <laughs> 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 us in the studios, but uh, it was really cool. But then we kind of, we went back to Yorkshire after that, uh, 
trying to figure out what to do next because we didn't really know anything about the animation industry in London. So we were focused on trying to get something off in America. And we had to go into like unemployment benefit. We had to go collect our dough like every couple of weeks or something, explaining to them that we're we're working on cartoon ideas and we have an agent in Hollywood, but we're still <laughs> unemployed. <laughs> and when you're in the north of England, people don't really take you seriously when you say things like that. But eventually we, we made our way down to London. Again, we kind of built a network of like studios and people that knew us and there's a guy called Mike Davis who had a studio called Icepix who just let us use some space in there. And after a while, like the stress Derek thing came off and we eventually got busy. So you were just using his studio to create your own stuff for fun? Yeah, he, he had like a, he had two floors in his studio in Soho and the, the top bit of it was kind of empty. So he just let me and Dave go up there and do our own stuff. And, He'd kind of, uh, we'd done some stuff for him, like boarding and design on a little sting for Cartoon Network. And we'd actually gone in there to Cartoon Network with him to pitch a couple of ideas that we had as well. So that was the very first experience of starting to pitch like show ideas and stuff. Wow. Uh, yeah. So you said, you said the networking didn't really pay off for you initially, but it did later on. How did that it, pay off later on? I mean, I guess it, it did pay off initially in the fact that we started to build a network. It just didn't pay off in regards to an, a job immediately. But a lot of that is to do with the fact that we didn't have visas or, or any legal thing that would allow us to work in America. So that kind of didn't help. But my, myself and Dave, we kept coming back to L.A. We kept coming over and because we started the seed of those networks initially, then it allowed us to kind of meet more people and come back and check in with people that we'd met before and it's just kind of an important way of doing it, really. Just keep in touch with people and see what's... Because it, it, a lot of it is to do with who you know. It's when you're first starting out, you have to keep bothering people. Yeah, in a nice way. <laughs> in a, yeah, in a friendly way. But yeah. you do have to, you know, keep interested and keep going, hey, yeah. just uh, in case anyone needs anyone, I'm still... <laughs> yeah, just remind people that yeah. you're alive. So, so what do you mean? Just like send somebody an email every once in a while or or like shout out on social media? Like how would you how would you do approach that now? Or like say, um, like I'm not working with you right now. How would you want to be approached in a year or whatnot? Like what would you advise? I mean, we have people who email us with the artwork as well. And mm -hmm. to be honest, we found a lot of people that we've ended up working with like that, you know, yeah. or at least maybe we've people been People emailing their artworks. What's that? Just people emailing their artwork saying, here's, here's my stuff. Are you interested? Um, yeah. I mean, some people from Instagram and, yeah. you know, a different portfolio reviews, what's yeah. it, CTN. Yeah. Well, people just like emailing you and asking you for advice as well. So yeah. it's not necessarily uh, asking you for a job. But it's like, what's your advice of getting to the network? What do you think of my work? Where would be good to go? All that kind of thing. Which... So, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 it's fine. I was going to say, what, what, so you said you've hired people from kind of cold reach out and, and you've given advice to people. What are you looking for in an, in an email uh, or in a portfolio or something like that? Because I know you've also uh, like, you've worked with teams and you've you've hired people and stuff so what are the some of the things that you look for because there's a big difference between like check out my art uh and you're like okay or like check out my art and you hire them type of thing so is it down to the talent is it the type of person like what are all the the factors that line up 
It's kind of a combination of, of both, but also it very much depends on what we're working on at the moment and what we're looking for, because then obviously it has to be someone who's suitable for whichever look the project has mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and then if it is someone who's like, okay, here's someone who we feel they could really fit into this style and they seem to, you know, they have, they show a lot of their own personal stuff as well, which I always really like. I like to see that people, I, I want to see what their stuff looks like because I want to, I don't know, it just gives you a good indication of, of who they are. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, want, I don't just want to see, uh, what do you say, like the same pieces that everyone makes in their portfolio. I want to see some personal stuff, but obviously I want to see something that shows their skills off as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's kind of, it's, it is hard to say what would make you hire someone from just looking at their work because it, like Ricky said, it's all about what you're looking for specifically at the time. And it's all about timing. Sometimes yeah. the right person just shows up when you're just, you just happen to be looking for someone. Yeah. So th there's always a bit of luck as well. Yeah. But yeah. definitely on the other side of it, aside from the work just being polite and I mean it's good to be pushy but not too pushy it's just kind of walk, walking that fine balance but also I've had a lot of people who've kind of reached out and it's been a nice interaction I've had some people who've reached out I've spent time sending sending an email back and then you never hear anything ever again so it's, it's always nice to say thank you <laughs> if somebody takes the time nice well, yeah, I think that's good. I mean, I, I know a lot of people that I've talked to are kind of scared to even initially reach out to people like yourselves because there's a there's like a big gap in knowledge and experience, and it's it's kind of scary if you've never done it before. So, no, you, yeah, you, should, you definitely should. That's how you. That's how it works. I mean, I remember again being at university, and me and a bunch of friends we made a comic, and then we just sent it to people that we admired. Like we sent it to like. Bill Ray, who did like Ren and Stimpy and stuff like that. We sent it to a load of other like comic artists and animation people. We even got a letter back from Will Eisner at one point saying mm -hmm. that, he, that he didn't like it. <laughs> but it was nice of him to send a, send a letter. But uh, like, Bill Ray sent a really encouraging letter to me and he kind of started to spark a lot of my interest in actually thinking I could do animation because he was saying off in the comics like you should try storyboarding and he, he sent me uh like a sample of a Ren and Stimpy board so like just reaching out and making those initial contacts it's really valuable and I don't know kind of inspiring if, you, if you're looking for that kind of inspiration and it's something everyone's had to do yeah exactly so don't be scared just be polite and nice <laughs> good advice yeah um, so I do want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of Pinky Malinky and how it was, you know, producing and being a showrunner and stuff. Um, and maybe so you both had quite a lot of different roles in animation, character designer, animator, etc. Can you kind of go through what kind of skills led to becoming a showrunner and what kind of the day to day of an actual showrunner looks like? Because from the outside perspective, shows just get made kind of by magic and the people who create them are like, amazing and you have no idea how they do them they just get made and and so can you kind of explain the process i know i'm asking a lot at, at once but maybe explain what a showrunner does and then what uh roles that you had previously that really helped you 
really maybe hone your skills or or find the confidence to to finally do this that's a that's a big question yeah, I think, it's magic yeah it's all magic i mean the all of the jobs that you had previously is helpful when yeah. you get into show running because the more you know the better yeah definitely i think we were pretty lucky that we got to do the show when we did and i mean like i said before i i started pitching shows almost immediately that i went down when i went down to london like a year or so out of university if i'd have had a show picked up then i'd have been a mess so i didn't know what the hell i was doing uh, so the fact that we've had all these years of experience uh, working on other shows learning from other people learning all the different uh, like from writing to designing to storyboarding all, all the different kind of departments and all the different skills you need to make a show to actually have hands-on experience doing that i think served as yeah because basically well. you're involved in everything yeah and <laughs> yeah it's some pretty full days because you're in right you're in the writing and the storyboarding and the animatics you know you see everything at all the different stages mm -hmm. and then you know you, you focused on the character, on, on the, the design, art, sorry, art the art direction. Yeah. And I did uh, the voice directing. Yeah. And yeah, we, 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 can't, we split up a little bit because it gets it gets very full. <laughs> but we were involved in every single aspect. Yeah. But that's because we wanted to be. Yeah. And that's the thing, like being a showrunner, I think is a different experience for different people, like depending on their skill set, like some people do have a good scope of everything and want to be involved in every single aspect. Some just have a narrower skill set and just might want to be focused on another on one part and have someone else kind of help lead on some of the other areas. So it really depends on on who's doing it. But I think because of our because of our past experience and what we enjoy doing and because we're both control freaks, we just wanted to stick our oars in everything. But also we complement each other because I come from animation and you come more from design mm -hmm. so we kind of yeah we basically cover everything i yeah. mean that's not saying we did everything because we had an amazing team obviously. oh yeah yeah uh, but yeah we were certainly involved in every stage yeah so what it, it sounds like you're you're constantly going from one department to the next on a day-to-day -day basis like is 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 most of your day taken up by meetings or like planning sessions or or kind of guiding the artists like what is it what does it look like yeah, when you're in full production i mean there were, it was meetings 10 to 6 yeah our weeks were yeah. totally blocked out yeah. with meetings when it was full on because you, you'd have episodes in almost every single stage they could be at so you'd have some that were just coming into like premise form all the way to some that were being delivered uh, back in animation and all the kind of stages in between really yeah so, so there's always how many overlapping a lot yeah I, yeah there, there's a lot of episodes overlapping yeah at different stages so we, we were totally booked out doing many different things but that's kind of what was exciting yeah. it's fun so but okay so another thing i have a question about is there are two of you and uh you're both showrunners on the same show so when you were developing the show did you kind of figure out everything you wanted ahead of time so that you could kind of split up with your complementary skills and, and go forth? Or are you still kind of learning what the show, uh, what makes the show the show, Pinky Malinky, as you go along? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you decide 
when you have conflicts or whatnot about things. We, we, we've uh, thankfully we agree a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we have a two control freaks that agree a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we've been developing this show for many years before it finally got picked up at Nickelodeon. So we kind of knew a lot about what we wanted the show to be and also what we didn't want it to be. And even just at Nick, we had like a, a good year to kind of really sit with it and work with it and get as as good as we possibly could. And we also had uh, Scott Kramer was working with us in development, Nickelodeon as well. He was kind of our, uh, he was executive producer on the show. So it was kind of the three of us that were show running uh, on Pinky. So, and he comes from more of a writing background. So again, to have that kind of aspect in there was really helpful. Yeah, so he was our story editor. Yeah, but also it was a third person, so if me and Ricky did ever argue about something, we had he someone... He split who, us up. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and also be the deciding vote. So that was super helpful. So what did you actually... So before you got the show greenlit, what was actually confirmed on the show? Like, had you written a couple episodes where all the characters designed? Like, I know um, a lot of people talk about the pitch Bible, like... Is that kind of what you went forward with, and and if so, like what was included in in the in the idea of, of Pinky Malinky? I mean, to be honest, like from the show getting picked up, like green light, the green lit, and then into production, there's still a lot that evolved in the show because the, the and it, ke- it kept evolving as well yeah. into production because that's when every all these other voices I added, so they make it even more rich. Exactly. So really, it keeps growing and growing, but we had a strong starting point. Yeah, but even just on the design side of it, like uh, all of the character designs evolved from when it was greenlit into production. The environments, backgrounds, all of that, there was nothing sorted there, so that all kind of was really created and evolved and developed as we went into production. Uh, on the writing side of it, there was so much more that we fleshed out as we kind of started into production and got writers involved so that everyone could kind of bring something interesting. And then again, as it went into storyboard, people were developing and evolving the characters, like their voices and all that kind of thing. So it's definitely not a case of you're greenlit and everything is locked and you move forward. It's like it's there's always room for development and evolving what's there, really, and it's better for it. I mean, so we what? did Bible, but it, it kept... Oh, it's more of a show guide. We didn't really. We didn't have a Bible when when we came out of development. We 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 made that series overview, but we made that actually in production. Oh, we did. Yeah, we when we pitched the show, we just had a a full color animatic. I thought we had started it already. No. So you just you just had an animatic uh, before the show was in development. You just had like one. One animatic that you worked on, kind of thing. Yeah, it was like a full color animatic. Yeah, uh, some shorts as well. Some shorts and like the previous short that we'd made a few years earlier as well. But there, there wasn't really a bible, so oh. we didn't need one. No, I mean that's the thing though, because we lived with it for so long, so we weren't yeah. very familiar with it. Yeah, and then it, then it just became a uh, we started putting together this thing called a series overview, uh, which was. Uh, this document just kind of explained with like character descriptions, the descriptions of what we want from the show, like descriptions of the world, the town, all of that kind of stuff. And that was mainly for the purpose of giving to people when they came on the show to kind of familiarize themselves with the show. Yeah, so, we kept so updating what, that as well. Yeah. 
So what was in this animatic exactly? Can you can you kind of do the pitch right now maybe to put you on the spot? Like, can you go through what was in the animatic? I'm just curious as to... Yeah. I mean, it was an example of an episode. Yeah. So it was basically an 11-minute... Yeah, it was an 11-minute episode. And at, at the time, I mean, from different networks and different times, like when you're in development, they demand different things. So at that time, Nickelodeon were making... Uh, full color animatics like really posed out animatics but every single panel was kind of colored as well uh that like i said that changes but that's what they were doing at the time so that that's kind of what we produced and basically it was a story about shit what was it about it was about pinky can you remember the... it was the winner <laughs> it was the winner yeah. we we had carl weathers you know carl weathers from uh like rocky and predator and stuff yeah, 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 yeah. Apollo Creed. We we had him do a voice for Pinky. Reach out to. Him. How did you get Carl Weathers? It's just through casting. Like and, and Nickelodeon that, yeah. have a casting department, and he was interested. But basically, like Pinky was do something had happened, and he realized that he needed to improve something about himself. So he developed a really big kind of strong ama- amazing arm, yeah. strong arm, but that arm came alive. Became a winner arm, and that the arm was voiced by Carl Weathers. I it's weird because I actually can't remember the problem. I can't remember the premise. No, it's oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, it's because we've we've written seventy four episodes since then. Yeah. <laughs> Four episodes. Oh wow! Yeah. That's, and that's, then all the ones that didn't get made. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Oh really? So what? For some reason, that was being pushed out of our brains. <laughs> What percentage of episodes kind of get get made versus the seventy four? Like, um, uh, from ideas or? Well, when you say you've written seventy four episodes, are these like full episodes? Or are these kind of like uh, episode ideas that? No, here's they're, a, full, example. Yeah. They're, they're full episodes. Yeah. yeah, we actually produced sixty of them, and fourteen of them went to storyboard. So there's fourteen episodes that kind of waiting there to who knows one day maybe get made or a really big crowdfunding campaign <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah <laughs> um so i mean you both I, I keep going back to all the skills you've had what kind of uh what kind of things keep you on your toes now like you've had you've worked in so many different departments over the years what keeps you on your toes now it seems like you've got a really good breadth of experience i feel like it's the same stuff as always like you always have to keep up, there's yeah. like, you know, and there's always we're always surrounded by a lot of very inspiring people as well that then make you push yourself harder. Yeah, definitely. You just, you don't want to get lazy. Like you see, like Ricky says, the people you work with producing amazing stuff. You see stuff on social media and it's all very inspiring, and you know, that certainly inspires me to keep doing things and keep pushing. But also, I mean, when it comes to like what we're doing now we we have we just keep having lots of different ideas we've had lots of different show ideas so you you are motivated to just keep getting them out there and try and get someone interested so you can make things and there's always a new problem to solve basically yeah, <laughs> yeah. do you what would you say because you've written so many episodes what would you say you've improved in or what was the biggest learning curve in writing because uh like maybe going from not writing much to now having finished episodes like what did you have to learn about the writing process to to get better at that 
I guess, I mean, uh, simplification. Uh, we were dealing with episodes which were basically nine and a half minutes long because the way we formatted Pinky, it had like a 30 second bumper at the, the beginning and the end. So the episode itself was kind of uh, pretty short, like nine and a half minutes. So you had to be very economical about clarity. Yeah, how you wanted to tell a story and uh, all of that kind of thing. So it was definitely, it was good learning that and learning from the great writers that we had and Scott as well. Just, uh, I mean, it's it's always hard though. It's yeah. Ne there's never, I mean, obviously there are some ideas that come out a little easier than others, but at the end of the day to really make any story work, <clears throat> I feel like you always have to gets through quite a lot of pain before you really yeah. get there. But also just trying to focus on what's important for the show, like the show's called Pinky Malinky, so we wanted to make sure that every story was driven by him. He's the main character. It's not a case of, all right, we're going to have a show, an episode where suddenly this character is the main character and Pinky just falls into the background. We need everything driven by him and then the other secondary characters around him serve him and serve his story. So it's thinking like that, and that helps you kind of be more economical. So you're not just going off on one with characters doing this, that, and the other that have no actual relation to the story. It's again, it's simplification, just keeping focused on the main story that you try to tell. Nice. Um, I also have a random question: Is there a reason why Pinky is a, a sausage? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I don't think so. It's just not not really. Cause do you mean like a uh, backstory in the show, or just why? Or just why you? Yeah, just why you like out of all the characters you could have made, why a sausage? Yeah, it, it was fun to draw. I mean, when I first started drawing him, it was just a character that kind of popped out, and it's a it's a really nice, fun shape that you can kind of twist and manipulate and get a lot of cartoony action out of. Nice. So. And no one's done a hot dog before, really, as a <laughs> doing character like that. So it, there was a gap in the market for sausage. Um, can you kind of go through, so you developed it at Nickelodeon. Can you go through the process of how it got onto Netflix? Uh, like how it went from being developed at Nickelodeon. Were you involved in the process that got it onto Netflix? No, 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 no. we weren't involved at all. This was a... Uh, an agreement between the higher-ups at Nickelodeon and the higher-ups at Netflix. Uh, yeah, I, get, I don't know if we can really say yeah. a lot about that. Yeah. It, was a, it was just a very happy surprise one day yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that we, came, we came into. Yeah, yeah and it, it feels like now the show has been on there for a couple of months and it feels really good. It feels like a it feels like a good place for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And just the, the fact that it was simultaneously dropped in 190 countries, like around the world as well, was a real yeah. buzz for us because it's like we're we're in the US right now, but we have family and friends like in in Denmark, obviously in England and France and other places. So the fact that everyone could see it at the same time yeah, in their own really country was, was really really good, and it Did just it... Was the right place for it. Does Netflix give you stats on how many views and stuff that it's had? Like, do you have any idea on that at all? No. No. The, the only thing they've told us is that it's doing, doing really well and they're happy. Good. I mean, that's all that matters, yeah. right? Yeah. So we're, we're really happy about that. But in regards to stats or anything like that, no. No. Sure. 
they keep that to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe like switching it up a little bit more and talking more about the the experience thing. So uh, there's kind of two schools of thought that I've come across in doing this podcast, and one is that you should deep dive and focus really hard on one area, like storyboarding or uh, animation or something like that, versus being a jack of all trades, kind of like what you guys have done. Do you have any thoughts on that or uh, stories to share that might be relevant? Like, what are your what are your thoughts overall on specializing versus uh, learning a breadth of skills? I think it's very individual. Yeah. Because if you want to be the best storyboard artist and that's where your heart is, then you should go for it and do that. But if you feel like you want to learn a bit about everything because you want to make your own stuff, then you should go for that. But it's like everyone is a bit different. So I don't think there's a right or wrong, really. Yeah. I mean, it's always beneficial, I think, no matter what job you're doing, to have a, a broader scope of how a production works so that even if you are just focused on storyboarding or designing or whatever it is, to know your place in that production and how it affects the things around it. You should have an understanding yeah. about how it affects who yeah, who comes after you and also yeah. what came before. It'll make you better at your job if if you understand how that whole system is working. But yeah, like Ricky says, it's completely individual. It's hard to kind of I wouldn't want to say one way or the other because it depends on the person. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, yeah, I think that's I think that's really great. Um, so maybe maybe talking a little bit about uh, social media now. Uh, so Chris, you have I think over ten thousand followers on Instagram. I don't know if yeah. you're active on on other platforms. And Ricky, I think you have something. Let me just check here. Uh, Thirty thirty four thousand. Yeah, she's followers. got more than me. <laughs> <laughs> I just broke ten thousand the other day, so that was very exciting. I'm oh, waiting That's fall awesome. below 10,000 again soon. But. Oh. <laughs> well, it's because, you know, I draw a lot of cat comics and there's a lot of people who, like me, really love cats. <laughs> well, actually, that's how I first... I, I actually discovered both of you separately from Instagram and didn't realize that you were both working on the same stuff and all this other things, all this oh. other stuff. So, um, yeah, but I, you both kind of have a different take to Instagram, so... Like, Chris, you post more, like, work-related stuff, like your storyboards and character designs and stuff. And, Ricky, you're just, like, purely these cute little fluffy cats all the time. So is is there a – do you use social media kind of as, like, an outlet or a promotional device? Or, like, w what is your inspiration for posting what you do? And, and also, how has it enabled your career? Um, well, for me, I think I – my Instagram probably started out a little bit more, a bit of everything, but then it just started focusing more on my little cat comics at some point. And also it was something that I really enjoyed doing in my spare time because I've always really enjoyed doing comic stuff. But I found this format where I drew, you know, they're all this small, all my comics. And I just, I got a lot more done and it was really nice for me to just have a place to put more of my personal stuff up so and yeah so I just kind of keep it as my little my little extra cat thing on the side <laughs> um and you're I think you're creating a book or at least offering 
uh, like original copies or something of the comics. Is that true? Yeah, I've been doing a few like so little original comics where people can have their own cat. Commissioned. Yeah, little commissions, which nice. is really fun as well because there's always it's nice to hear everyone's stories about their cats. And yeah. I am hoping to put a book together. But yeah, I just yeah, have well, to have, speak. you have so many you could put I, together an anthology. I think it might have to be a series of books by now. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. should get on to that. <laughs> um, Chris, how about you? What's your take on uh, the whole social media thing? So I guess I just use it as a platform to put my work out there. Like anything I do, it's not it's not kind of as focused on one thing as Ricky's is, which I don't know if that's why I have less followers. <laughs> I don't know. But it's not a competition. <laughs> it is a competition. Oh, no. She's winning. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just, yeah, like I say, it's just a platform for me and my work, basically. It's... Just anything I do, whether it's illustration work or uh, animation work or personal, just doodles or whatever, I just like to get it out through that, really. It's nothing, no no bigger concept than that, really. Has, has um, it impacted your professional life at all, do you think? I don't even know. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, mean, I guess there might be some connections that we've made uh, because of our social media presence, but it's hard to track that stuff. Yeah. Really, when you kind of in the thick of it, anyway. Have you have you made any like you said people will send you art by email or whatnot? Have you ever looked on social media for people to hire or that you might be interested in? Oh yeah, definitely. definitely. Instagram is a great place. Yeah. So how do you go about doing that? Do you kind of just look through your followers? Do you use hashtags? Do you how do you go about? I mean, search? sometimes if you like certain people, then it'll uh, suggest it'll one. suggest a bunch of other ones, and all of you can go down that little hole and yeah. you can find some really interesting stuff. So yeah. But also, like when you talk to other artists or people you're working with or people you know, they might suggest, "Oh, I know this guy who does this," and then you can see it on social media. For people to have that presence on Instagram, it's a really good way of getting to see new artists, yeah. like through word of mouth and then you kind of check it out on Instagram. That's the thing, you can instantly look it up and see, oh yeah, this could be something. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, well, I, I think that's I think that's really interesting because I've talked to people who will specifically scout out Instagram to look at people's kind of profiles. And when you're looking at somebody's, I guess, profile, you said you like to see a lot of their original work. Do you care the quality? Like sometimes I've talked to some of my classmates and they don't want to post things that they are embarrassed about or are in process like they only I only post like polished stuff myself would you have any advice on that or like do you care or you just want to see what they're working on or like I mean I love seeing rough stuff as well yeah. because there's so much charm to seeing an idea in its pure form so yeah I really like that but it's it's nice I think it's nice to have both yeah and I don't know, you should never feel bad about posting anything. Yeah, yeah. I have a giant collection of my own terrible drawings. <laughs> so Are they yeah. on Instagram though? Some of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's hard to really advise what the best thing is for that because it's again it's down to the individual. Like 
how they want to be using Instagram and I certainly wouldn't want to dictate how people use their own social media presence but it's, it's always good to see personality in people's work so whether it's a polished piece a rough piece whatever it is to kind of something that has that charm and that personality is always really fun to see I mean that applies a lot as well if you're looking for board artists it's nice to see that rough kind of stuff because then you get an idea of how they would work with like quick drawings yeah that makes sense yeah cool um so kind of the last thing I wanted to ask you is you both kind of said that you reached a, a big goal with Pinky Malinky and now you've been working on it for uh, quite some time now. What's what's next for you? Is there a bigger goal? Is it is it you're just going to keep working on Pinky Malinky? Like where are you? What What's looking in your future? Um, so <laughs> I mean, well. c- currently we're not working on Pinky because Pinky is right. kind of finished for now maybe like uh if there's an appetite for more like like i said we kind of made 60 episodes uh which netflix have only released like 28 of them so there's going to be another couple of drops of episodes through episodes through the year so it'd be interesting to see how that goes and if there's appetite from either them or nickelodeon to maybe make more which would be great in in the meantime we're developing another project of ours at netflix right now so that's being super busy. Unfortunately, we're not allowed to say anything about yeah, it. <laughs> we can't say anything apart from it's great. <laughs> Can you? It's great. Yeah. yeah. Can you share a little bit what it's like working for at Netflix? Like, how is how is that? Because Netflix is kind of new on the scene when it comes to animation, and they just opened up a studio and stuff like that. So, can you yeah. share any of kind of the culture or or what it's? I mean, it seems really exciting to be part of something that's yeah. so new and it's very positive. Yeah. So it's just a really nice place to be. Yeah, there's a lot of really amazing like artists and creatives in there producing some like, very exciting And very projects. different stuff, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to be part of a startup as well. Like, it's all very fresh it's like a new studio there's a real kind of buzz and excitement of what this the potential of what this place has uh, so I, I think everyone in there is really happy and it's a, it's a great creative environment right now it's really really good uh, it's kind of interesting as well because like like I say we're kind of in development there right now uh, we've worked in development at like Disney, Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon different places and it's kind of different in a way that in those places traditionally you'd be developing shows for maybe one or two slots on the network so there'd be a lot of different projects vying for like i said one or two slots so it is a creative environment but there's also a competition there that makes it a little bit edgy as well whereas it feels like at netflix at the moment because it's a broad platform and they're developing so many different shows it's a real vibrant very uh collaborative environment like genuinely collaborative which not often happens are you like sharing ideas with other showrunners like you'll bounce off ideas here and there with them or yeah it feels very open in that regard it just doesn't feel as competitive yeah as as closed as as it can be so and i think that just makes people feel comfortable and happy (laughs) yeah nice Cool. Well, um, unless there's anything you guys want to 
add in now any stories or piece of advice or anything like any final words <laughs> it's okay if you if you don't have them that's fine too we can just wrap it up yeah i can't think of anything off the top of my head unless you've got just, some questions I, to prompt it i just really can't think of anything smart to say <laughs> oh no <laughs> my question is what is something smart to say no maybe well like for myself i'm very new to this industry i'm from an outside perspective just going to school uh what would you say to because school is also four years and that's a long time to you know develop skills get internships talk to a lot of people etc what would you say your advice would be for somebody like me or my classmates or somebody else listening to this podcast if they want to end up with their own show or working at netflix or something what would you say is is uh, your advice uh keep keep working keep doing it yeah and keep show doing it, it to people yeah uh make contacts reach out to people just immerse yourself in the industry really and uh keep going yeah cool because you there will be hard times there will be rejections there will be stuff like that but you have to just keep fighting and just keep getting through and believe in yourself and believe in what you want to do awesome yeah so well uh thank you both very very much for coming on and doing this podcast i really appreciate you taking your time i know things are quite hectic for you right now um but i'm very grateful you chatted with me and you shared a lot of great uh insights and stories and thank you so much no problem thank you for asking us it's been really fun yeah great great um now just before we go if you want to reach out to ricky or chris uh you can do so by following them on their instagram chris's instagram is that damn garbutt and ricky's is fatty whale which is an interesting name and i'll <laughs> include those links in the description uh, so you can find those there so thank you so much for listening and that's all for now okay bye <laughs>